Hey everyone, welcome to Susquehanna Valley Church. My name is Pastor Matt. The setting looks a little bit different this week as I was diagnosed with COVID-19. So we're going to quarantine at home for a little while and we're going to preach to you from here. Um, but thrilled that you're joining with us to be able to dive into God's Word. I want to start out by taking you back to when I was 16 years old playing a game of basketball in a rec league and, and uh, going up for a basketball rebound and getting the ball and coming down having kind of my legs come out from underneath me and falling and landing on my back on the court and remembering it hurt a good bit and then uh, kind of got over it and then got into track and field was throwing javelin and I uh, was at a meet and I, I made a throw and uh, right afterwards my back went out on me again so off to the doctor and the doctor says well this is odd you're 16 years old but it's clear you're going to need back surgery. And I remember when I was 16, you know, what, what did you chase after in life? You chase after, uh, you know, girls or, or guys, you chase after athletics and you, you got everything on your mind. And then all of a sudden, when something like that happens, you know, it, it, and life kind of takes a pause and it sets you back. And um, as I thought about that, I was thinking about where, where we're going this morning with the book of Philippians in chapter one. I want us to talk about setbacks. And for me at the age of 16, my back surgery was a setback. Get it? Setback? That's your dad joke for the day. Um, but, but my setback was, was that I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I didn't have the freedom. I didn't have the relief of pain. I, I couldn't be like every other 16-year-old. I had a setback. And I'm guessing just about every single person in this room this morning or watching online with us has had some sort of setback. Something didn't go the way that you want. Life took a turn. You got hurt. Someone laughed. Um, somebody took advantage of you, you've had setbacks. And what I want to talk to us about this morning, looking at Philippians chapter 1, is that sometimes setbacks have a way of generating growth if we let them. Sometimes setbacks have a way of propelling us to grow as God refines us, He stretches us, He grows us, and refocuses us in, in, in life. And so we're going to look at that this morning, that maybe you're setback, maybe you're even in a setback right now, and maybe God has you there to generate growth in your life, for you to be somebody who's going to be sold out for him, who's going to reach others, who's going to grow through this series, because sometimes setbacks generate growth. Um, specifically in Philippians chapter 1, we're looking at a letter from a man in prison to an upstart church. The man in prison is Paul. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's there to be a messenger to help churches grow. And he's in prison while he's got this church in Philippi that is kind of upstart and it's vulnerable and they're wondering what's happening where their founder, their, their kind of their main missionary guy, um, he's left them and they're vulnerable. And so, so what are we, what, what are they going to do? And Paul's going to write Philippians one to say, my setback is for your growth. And, and, and so let, let's look at it with that in mind. In Philippians chapter one and verse 12, he says, now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you so much for your word and for just the way that it grows us in these times of difficulty We've all been there. We're going to be there again, Lord. I pray that we can become experts at just relying on you so that we can find in our season of setback, they become a season of growth. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. I mean, honestly, Paul writes Philippians 
the church in, in Philippi, and he's going, look, I, th- I want this to be a jolt for you because what has happened to me has actually been something that's good. It's not negative. I just need to see it a little bit differently. That's going to be so key for these seasons of setback for us, for us to understand that sometimes life is very much a matter of perspective. It's how you see it that can make all the difference. And I know we know this, but there's a difference between knowing it and really applying it to those seasons specifically where Paul is going, it has become clear that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. It's become clear. And he's saying, first of all, that it became clear to everybody in, in, in the whole palace guard. But where did it have to start? If everybody in the whole palace, if every prisoner and every guard that interacts with Paul sees this as something that's not a negative, but they see it as a positive, I believe it had to start with Paul. I don't think they're all getting it if Paul's not living it and seeing it first. So Paul had to see it first. He had to have the idea that this would be something that's not just a bad thing, but it could actually be a good thing. He says it's become clear. I don't know about you, but in my experience in those sort of moments, those aren't instantaneous. I don't walk into to the setback of life and go, okay, God, you know, what are you doing right now? Usually there's an emotional pull of why am I here? Why me? You know, this isn't fair. And, and, and Paul probably started there, but I bet he didn't stay there long. This isn't somebody else's fault. It's not some guy down at the DMV who really messed this up. It, it's not, if only I would have done something different, I never would be here. Paul got to a place where he goes, I'm here and there's a reason for it. What he's done is he's redefined the purpose for why he is where he is, that I'm in chains for Christ. What an incredible statement. I'm in chains for Christ, that God's going to take this and these limitations, these chains, and I'm going to, and he's going to use them to do something dramatic for his gospel in this world. That Philippian church, you don't have to worry. This is actually going to be a good thing in the end. So he redefines, and then because he redefines, he refocuses. He says, what, what's his role here? What is he called to? Look, this is going to be key for you and your seasons of setback. You've got to be able to say, why am I here? God, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to do? This may not be the job I wanted. This, this, they may not be the kids I always dreamed of, or um, it may not be where I want to be in life. But just to stop and ask the question, God, where do you want my focus to be right now? And that will, I promise you, that will be a battle. Because Paul's literally sitting in there in chains. And when we read this, we have the tendency to flatten it. We tend to, we have the tendency to read a passage of Scripture and say, Oh, wow, Paul was in chains. That was just this one day. No, Paul was in chains for hour after hour, day after day, and week after week. And he's, he's writing this not from somebody who, who has this flattened experience of one jail moment. This was his life for a season. I was reading just about Joseph, where Joseph in the Old Testament was one of the was a primary example of faith. And he's not in jail for a flattened singular moment of time. He's in jail for a decade, for 12 years. He's in jail. And what he finds is purpose. What Paul finds is purpose because he becomes focused and it becomes redefined. And so the whole palace guard sees him and they understand why he's there. And so what Paul's understanding is that. I'm here and I'm not seeing this based on my convenience. I'm based, I'm seeing this all based on the convenience of the gospel. That, you know what? In one sense, I am locked up. In one sense, I can't go anywhere. But in another sense, 
The guy next to me can't go anywhere either. And I'm in this whole setting because I was out trying to tell people about Jesus and, and they got angry at me and they threw me in jail. And, and so now you chained me to a guy that I can talk to about Jesus and he can't go anywhere and he's just stuck here. And then at the end of his shift, they're going to come and they're going to lock somebody else up and they're going to be chained next to me. And so they're not going to have anything to do but to sit here and listen to me talk about Jesus. I don't care about my inconvenience. This is served for the convenience of the gospel. And what Paul understands is that this setback is going to generate growth. And so he's got to be able to see it from the perspective that God wants him to be able to see it from. That he came to see this as this was God's doing for God's glory. And go back to when I was 16. What God did in that moment shaped me to have a heart for him to free up my time where I basically say, God, I can't play sports for a while. What do you want me to do with your time? Do you want me to get involved in church? Do you want me to go, go to camp and, and invest more time there as a counselor? Okay, then I'm going to do that and I'm going to invest in things that are going to grow your kingdom because sometimes what we find is that these setbacks are often necessary to jolt us into what God wants, to get us to live and to see things the way that he wants us to see. And what that faces us with is a question where we say, if our worst times are redeemed for God's best, then the question we really have to ask is, can we adjust our hearts to find a new understanding of whether or not those were really bad times at all? Let me say it again. If our worst times, if our worst times are times that God takes and they turn into his best for his kingdom and his glory, can we really sit back and even look at them and call them worst times at all? Maybe, maybe they're not even bad times. Maybe they're necessary times. And that's what Paul comes to see. He says, this is served to advance the gospel through, through my chains for your glory. His hope is that the church of Philippi would be able to see the bad times of their journey through the same lens that he sees them. That maybe this isn't bad. Maybe it's necessary. And maybe, maybe it's even good. And maybe the loss of a job is what it takes to slow you down and refocus you. Maybe an illness is going to be what reprioritizes life for you. Maybe it's the inability to have children. Maybe it's the, the, the end of the ability to, to do a hobby that you like or the passing of a loved one, a stay in prison, a resentful father, an abusive mother. These were all things that followers of Jesus have told me that were bad times that were redefined as good because God changed their mentality and he redefined the purpose. They say, God, I'm going to take this bad situation. I'm going to put it in your hands. And this is going to be a setback that actually generates growth for your kingdom. And in my life, as it re redefines me, I've heard it over and over again where this was bad, but it became good. I mentioned Joseph earlier, Genesis 50, 20. As for you, he says to his brothers who abandoned him, who threw him into slavery, he says, as for you, you meant evil, but God meant this for good to bring about the result of the saving of many lives. Why? Because sometimes setbacks generate growth. Now, central to each one of these people that I've talked to, central to Paul, central to Joseph, and my own experience in life, was that when the setbacks came, we experienced loss. We experience the loss of an ability, the loss of somebody close to us, the loss of safety or security or even our own health. And every time something is lost, but what changes in this shift of perspective is not the focus on what is lost, 
but what is found. And what is found is that Jesus is simply greater than whatever it is that we lack. Whatever was surrendered, whatever was taken, Jesus ends up being greater and we see him all the more beautifully. We see him all the more clearly. And so we're able to say that even in this season, I can have joy. I can celebrate what God's doing here because he's going to take this, he's going to use it for his good, and he's going to further me and further his kingdom. And, and, and so it's this perspective shift that Jesus, his story, and our role within it are greater than anything this life or the American dream can offer us. Jesus, his story, our role in it are greater than anything that this life can offer and, and, and so I, I was, the other day, I was looking at some artwork, which is just really cool. Um, and I've got a piece of art that I want to show you. It's by a, uh, an artist named Bernard, Bernard Pra, who does what he calls forced perspective art. And what you're looking at is a picture of Dali, he calls it. That, that's the title of this piece, after Salvador Dali. And if you look at it from the angle that I'm showing you right now, it is absolutely a pile of junk. I mean, quite literally, it is a pile of of junk, it would be entirely accurate to just say, what you're looking at is a picture of a bunch of stuff that nobody wants. I would probably throw almost all of it out, and so would you. But if you take a few steps to the side and you look at this from a different perspective, it begins to come into focus. Why? Because right now you're seeing it from the perspective that the artist intended it to be seen from. It was there all along. We just didn't see it. What Paul is writing to the church in Philippi is you're looking at this and you're seeing a pile of junk. You're seeing the gospel interrupted where this message and this movement is going to be thrown out because one of the key figures is, is not going to be out and free about to move. And, and you're seeing this from a perspective where you're missing out on what God's actually doing. And Paul's saying, I need you to take a few steps to the side. And I need you to change your perspective and see this from a position that God wants you to see it where this is not a setback at all. This is generated growth for the kingdom of God. And I want you to be excited about it. I want you to be confident about it. I want this to encourage you to go out and do what it is that got me in trouble in the first place. Because that's how, that's how you need to see it. We need to look at it as it was intended where the work of the master artist can only be discerned when everything lines up just the way that God wants it to. That's got to be your life and your perspective when things go wrong. It's for me to say, I, I'm going to try and do my best to step away from how I'm viewing it. And I'm going to step aside and God, I'm going to let you show me what it is that you want me to see. So how do you get there? How do you shift perspective? That's an incredible question and I'm going to give you two answers. I've given these two answers again and again and again, and I need you to hear me in a different way than you've heard me every other time that I've given them. Um, the first one is you need community, that sometimes you need somebody else to see what you don't see. And they got to be good friends. they got to be people that you trust and that you're open with, but you need them for people to be able to say, no, 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 you're looking at it this way. Come on over here and see it from this perspective. You've got to look at it differently, so you need those friends. Join a community group. If you're, if you're in one, get involved. Um, do everything that you can to be open and be out there. Um, I love it. Get involved in community groups. If you're new to the idea of community groups or you're new to the church, then what I want to say is, is that we're starting a new one. We'd start it right now, but with holidays, it's going to be a little bit difficult. So um, beginning January 7th on the first and third Thursdays at 6.30 p.m., uh, we're going to offer a community group for people who do not have community groups. So you've got no excuse. 
Thursday nights, first and third Thursdays. Um, you can sign up for that on the website or in the, the Planning Center app um, or the Church Center app, but we would love to have you join us for that. So um, you need this community and we want to make it available for you because it's going to be part of you seeing things as God wants you to see them. It's huge. The second thing is really that you would be a person of prayer and scripture reading. Prayer and scripture reading. We read in the scriptures that when Paul is in jail, he's spending time praying. He's spending time reciting scriptures and singing these hymns. And that's got to be us as well. Now, Eric last week did an incredible job preaching, and he talked about how knowing Jesus, the Greek word epigenosis, is not just to have a knowledge about something, like a fact, but you have an experience, you have a relationship. We want you to know Jesus in your setback through prayer and scripture reading. And when I say that, I do not mean a verse of the day. I don't mean a 30-second prayer. I mean that you spend a significant amount of time sitting down, reading the Psalms, reading the Gospels, where you devoting time to let the Master regather your heart, remove your eyes, reposition your eyes so that you can see this. It cannot be something that's simple and short. It should be deep and it should take your time. It should, it should involve you. It should call out to you and bring you even deeper as you read more and more. The other night in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was kind of thirsty and I went to the, to the bathroom and to get a drink. But all that was there was one of those little medicine cups. And uh, I remember just feeling so parched and I turned the water on and you know, let it get cold. And then I take this little medicine cup because it's the only thing there and I didn't feel like running all the way downstairs to the bathroom and, and so like I get it and I'm like you know taking it one little medicine tablespoon at a time and I was thinking this is doing nothing like I, I could I feel like I could sit here for a week and I would not have my thirst quenched in these setback seasons we are parched we are parched it's a desert the scripture calls them and yet we try to we try to fill ourselves up with a little medicine cup of water as if that's enough Jesus to get me through this season. Look, you were not made that way. God didn't design his relationship with you to work that way. It's about spending that genuine time where you're saying, I don't need a thimbleful. Man, give me a thermos. Give me a bowl. Let me just dive in and, and just, just put my face in the water. That's what you need in this time with the Word of God. You can't expect a little medicine full cup to, to be enough to satisfy you in a season where your soul is just so incredibly thirsty. You've got to take the time and spend it with Jesus Christ. If you really want that perspective shift to come, you've got to get community and you've got to engage with Christ on a level where you're actually letting him quench your soul. Because perspective doesn't come just because we try to think a little bit differently. It comes when we really genuinely experience God. And if we don't have that experience where, where we're with God and, and, and we're enjoying him and we're reshaped by him and we're looking at things differently, if you don't have that, you're probably going to miss out on something. You're going to miss out on something that's crucial. And it was hidden within what Paul said, where, where he's saying that what, is actually, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This has actually been better than if it didn't happen. And, and so the second idea that I want to challenge you with is not just that your perspective be, be altered by God in this season, but really that you would understand the goal isn't always to get out of a situation, but for the gospel to move in our situation. This is tough, if I'm just being honest, because whenever a setback comes, we tend to focus on the path out of it. But what Paul does, and he challenges us with something here, 
where his focus is actually on the advance of the gospel. And he's not necessarily saying, hey, send some guys, send some money, do what you can, send me a lawyer, get me out of here. He says, rather, this situation has served to advance the gospel. You know, I was thinking about this, and if Paul went to, the, to, to Susquehanna Valley Church and he was thrown in jail, I'd be doing whatever I could to get him out. But Paul's perspective is, hey, I'm not in such a hurry to get out because God obviously has me here for a reason. His perspective shift has, has allowed him to understand that the goal isn't necessarily to get out of the situation, but for God to move within the situation. You know, I, I love when he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I don't know what your setback is or what your next one will be, but, but maybe if it's, a, if it's a dead end job, maybe it's not about the fact that you just need to get a better job. Maybe it's that there's a bunch of people around you in life who are going to die separated from Christ and, and God wants you in a dead end job to offer life. What if that's the reason? What if that's the purpose? What if you have this illness so that it slows you down and it causes you to reach out and to love people and to serve them in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise? Sometimes it's not about getting out of the situation. Sometimes it's about finding God and serving him in the situation so that you can see growth happen right then and right there. If that's what, what happens, and, and by all means, if we go back to you need a community, you need people to say, actually, don't try so hard to get out of this. God's doing something here. There's, there's times when people have said that to me, that slow down. There's a reason that this is taking this long. Focus on why you're here. Focus on today. Focus on right now. If you're going to be able to do that, then my advice to you from, from my own experience of, of, of this and these seasons, and I've had more than I care to admit, more setbacks than I'd volunteer to, to, to uh, go through again, that's for sure. Uh, my, my challenge to you would be to understand that you've got to be able to value purpose over pity. Purpose over pity. I'm a person, if I'm being honest, who I like sympathy. I think there's people in life who, who say, I don't want sympathy. I hate it. I hate when anybody pities me. And then there's other people, maybe who are like myself, who actually might quietly like some sympathy now and then. Sympathy feels good. It means people understand you. Sometimes it fills a need in our life or it takes us back to when we were kids and we used to get sympathy. And you get in these situations of setback. It's really easy to crave sympathy and to want pity from people in a way that makes us feel safe. If pity becomes your focus in a setback, you're not going to be focused on what God wants you to do there. You've got to be thinking purpose. I'm not here so that other people can give me attention and can, can, can make a big deal of what I'm going through. I'm here so that I can love Jesus Christ by serving and caring for other people. My season is not about pity. It's about purpose. And that's got to be your mentality. Um, I, I'll never forget an interaction that I had with a man that I pray for for on, on a regular basis who tells me that he, he was checked into retirement home far earlier than he wanted to because of physical maladies in his life where he couldn't care for himself. And he's going, I don't know why this happened to me. I just, I just want to tell people about Jesus Christ. And I'm going, look around, man. They can't go anywhere. And helping him to see that this isn't a season of pity, but it's a season of purpose. And I still pray with that man because I know his heart drifts back to that pity and drifts back to that cry out for sympathy on a regular basis. It's such a pull for him. But at the end of the day, he needs to, and we need to understand that our hearts are going to go back and forth in this battle of wanting pity, but needing to find its highest value and purpose.
What you'll find is when you make it about the purpose, our hearts will find a satisfaction from a sympathy, not from another person, but from our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's far better than another person saying, I'm sorry for you. I understand that what you're going through is so incredibly difficult. I pity what you're going through. For us to have the mentality of Paul to say, you don't need to pity me because actually this has happened for a purpose. It's not, it's not about what I've lost. It's about what the gospel has gained. Second thing I can tell you from my own experience, since it's about purpose over pity. And, and then the second thing is that, that we have to understand um, that, that this type of setback is really where drama likes to thrive. It's where drama likes to thrive. When we have these difficulties, it's where drama and complaints and frustration and bitterness, they all love to live in these environments. When I was a middle schooler, they gave us a little Petri dish. And, and uh, we walked around the high, halls of the, high, the middle school. We took a Q-tip and we'd touch it and we'd swab it into the Petri dish. And, and the whole idea was that at the, you know, in a couple of weeks, we'd check it out. And we'd see what sort of bacteria were growing in the Petri dish. And looking back, the whole thing is incredibly comical because really in a middle school, where couldn't you find bacteria? I think the whole building is basically just bacteria holding it together because middle schoolers, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Well, the, 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 the Petri dishes would all come back to show stuff and you look at it and you go, oh, oh, that's so gross. I can't believe that lived on a doorknob or you know this lived on a desk. And of course, of course it did because that's where bacteria thrives. Wherever people are, bacteria tend to thrive. Wherever setbacks are, drama tends to thrive. And your misfortune is a breeding ground for drama. Why? Because you've lost something. When you lose things, you tend to focus on those. Paul lost so much in this process. He lost his freedom. He lost his reputation. He, he lost probably his, his, in, in his mind his future and what's going to happen. And the focus could be on what he lost or what he gained. In fact, there are a group of people who are really trying to add on to this all, who are taking advantage. And these seasons of setbacks, they're not just drama because of, they're not just breeding grounds for drama because of what we experience, but they're a lot of, oftentimes breeding grounds for drama because of the opinions of other people while we're in here. I remember hearing about just an incredibly godly man who was a doctor and and it's just a real, real sweetheart of a man with some kids that he loved to death. And he was diagnosed with cancer and was going through this cancer, cancer battle. And he put an online blog out there. And, and, and somebody that he knew went online and on the comments of this blog said, you're getting cancer, you're in cancer, you're going to die because you're in sin. And you need to repent and this and this and this. And sometimes in, in the seasons of setback, drama thrives, not because of our experience, but because of the the dumb and, and jaded opinions of other people that are thrown at us. Paul actually has that happen. In Philippians 1, he talks about it. He says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul, Paul's talking about a situation that the church in Philippi would have asked him about. They're saying, Paul, you're in jail. 
and, and it's for good, but yet there are these other guys who are out there, and they're preachers too, and they're saying, we're better than Paul, and, and look at what happened to Paul, and Paul's not a real preacher, he's not a real messenger because he's in jail, and, and so Paul's in there, and the breeding grounds of drama are there where, where he's being attacked, and they're saying, you know what, he's got no honor, he's not worth following, and the church is going, Paul, what do we do about this? And, and Paul goes, what do you mean, what do you do about it? It's not really anything. You're not, you're not following Paul. This isn't about Paul. He says, what does it matter? Paul didn't die and get resurrected for you. This is about Jesus. And at the end of the day, I don't care if my opinion is tarnished because God is working and God is growing. And even if that's the only thing that they say right is that Jesus Christ saves and they spend hours and hours bashing Paul, man, let's at least be happy that they said that right thing that Jesus Christ saves. That's incredible. We talk about being a church that's a source of grace, not drama. Man, that right there is it. These guys are just adding insult to injury. And Paul goes, you can insult me and you can laugh at my injury. You can mock me. It doesn't matter. You cannot touch what is mine in Jesus Christ. You cannot affect what Jesus is doing right here in this circumstance around me. I can't help but be a source of grace in a season of drama because I can't help but see everything that God is doing. So I don't care at all about how other people see me. I just care about how we all see Jesus. And so Paul goes, I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to keep on rejoicing. And so Paul, in a sense, seems like a man who has lost absolutely everything. And if you're standing there, you know, watching Paul from, from the street, looking at his house, it's like a storm has come and it's destroyed his house. It wrecked his truck. It, it, it got rid of his pets. And, and Paul's got nothing but this pile, this heap of garbage left. And, and, and you look at it and you go, Paul, what, what are you doing? Like, man, you've got nothing. And Paul comes up and he says, hey, I'll tell you what, why don't you just take a few steps over to the side? And why don't you look at this from a different perspective? Because while in one sense, this seems to be a major setback, in another sense, God has orchestrated something absolutely beautiful and incredible. And so I don't care if people are out there talking about me. I don't care if I'm in chains. All I care about the fact is that if you step right over here, and if you look at it this way, you're going to see something absolutely incredible. You're going to see Jesus Christ and his work in my life. And you're going to see how it's moving in a time when you think it's stopped. And God is amazing. Praise him. Let's pray. Our Father God, I pray that we can be people who have eyes who see things the way that you want us to see them. That we can, in seasons when it falls apart, we can trust that you're holding it all together. Lord Jesus, I ask that each one of us in our hearts, that we would be people who don't just take medicine cupfuls of uh, of your love and your grace and your mercy in these seasons, but God, that we would just delight in the fullness that is there for us. That we would we would reach out to community, we would join each other, and we would help each other see what you have for us, Lord. So drama doesn't win, despair doesn't win, but in setbacks we find that you've generated growth for your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.